You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. I'm Lauren Roche alongside my co-host Dylan Spilko. Today, we are joined by our deputy editor and fellow football beat reporter, Sam Ostry. On this episode, we will be talking about all the exciting fall sports going on now. Yeah, Lauren, uh, we're going right into football. I mean, it's been so fun covering this team so far. And finally, we get to talk about it on a podcast. The season is so close, so excited for that Virginia game. And it's, it's just good. The, pleasure, the season's going to be just such a pleasure, I think. It's such an exciting team. And I think that uh, before we get into Sam's introduction, I just we got to look into the quarterback situation first, first of all. So, but Sam, you can go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this season more than ever before that we've been here in a long time, Maryland football, there's a lot of expectations surrounding this program. They have a tough schedule like they always do in the Big Ten, but there's optimism around this program. And I think, I mean, we'll see, we'll, we'll discuss our predictions later, but they should have a, a great season compared to what they've had in the past. And it starts this Saturday in three days against West Virginia. And I think the big focal point of what we want to look at first with Maryland football is the quarterback situation. I mean, you got Talia Tagovailoa, just he's there. He's in his second season and he's going to be a junior this year. And he's really expected to take a step forward. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see his development because Maryland football is basically riding on him taking a big leap forward this year. Everybody's basically expecting it. So, and it's really important that first game against West Virginia to look out for uh, Talia's decision-making because last season, seven picks, four games, that's just not going to get it done if you want to be a good team in the big 10. So Talia's really got to figure out his decision-making and Loxley's only said really good things of him in the preseason and he should be a really interesting part of this Maryland offense. And the, the thing for me is that he's really expected to take a step forward. Everybody's basically expecting that to happen as like a given. And I'm not so sure it's a complete given considering the seven picks in four games. I mean, the decision-making has is, is got to be figured out, but I was wondering what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's also hoping to take that step forward. He's talked a lot about recently in all of his media availabilities just feeling more comfortable with the team after having one year under his belt. And he had a lot of games that showed promise last year, especially that Minnesota game where he threw for 394 yards. So I think that as he's approaching this season, he has more experience under his belt. He's had the full off season. And, you know, this consistency at the quarterback position isn't something that Loxley has had at all since being here. And he definitely doesn't take that for granted. And he's seeing a lot of potential in him. And although obviously um, he'll have to watch kind of his consistency game to game. The seven picks in four games was obviously not ideal, but going through that and, you know, he's hoping to take that leap as well. And it seems like his confidence is there this season. Yeah. I mean, Lauren, you touched on it. It's, it was the inconsistency. A big part of that is because not having a full off, season. not only did he transfer last season, but he also had a COVID off season. So he wasn't getting reps in with his wide receivers. He has a ton of talent around him now in Dante Dem- Demis and Rakeem Jarrett. And the, the tight end position, everywhere he is a ton of talent. He's all the weapons to take that next step. And he, he was inconsistent last year, but he showed signs and flashes of being like really one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country, which may seem a bit dramatic. But in certain games, I mean, Lawrence said in Minnesota, threw for 394 yards, 74% completion percentage. The Penn State game, 382 yards, 69% completion percentage. I mean, he, he is capable of putting up those numbers against really solid defenses. And it's about the consistency. It's about the decision-making, but that comes with getting a full offseason under your belt. And Loxley was saying yesterday at the media availability, this is the first time he's had a returning quarterback. I mean, they're comfortable at the quarterback position, which is really important for them. And so the expectation is there. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on Tulia uh, to take the next step. And I think he's certainly capable of it. And, and all the positions are there for him to take that next step. Yeah, you look at his passing yards. I mean, he's got he had over a thousand passing yards in four games. I mean, you really can't ask much more of him there. But I think one of the aspects of his game that he really can improve on, and this goes along with decision making, is rushing. He needs to use his legs more. It's as simple as that. He played four games and he had 44 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. But he re- he's fast enough to make it a very a usual piece in his arsenal. And I don't think he was using his legs enough last year. 
And, you know, you could say so many things about the, the season with COVID and how so many games are canceled and no players could find their rhythm. But I think that's where I really want to see Talia kind of take a step forward this year is when, you know, third and maybe five, six, third and five, six or seven, maybe uses his legs to go get a first down. I don't think we saw that at all last year, really. And we used to see Talia throw into double coverage, triple coverage down the field. And that's in, that's what in part led to those seven interceptions. So he did have 44 rushing yards last year, but I don't think uh, if he improves on that, then I don't see a huge step forward. I think if he has more of a dual threat kind of game, I think he'll become one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Yeah, you talk about the rushing. I think a big part of that is the broken offensive line. I mean, he he had a lot like that was a bad offensive line and last year. Was one of the major, one of the worst units on the entire team. And Loxley all offseason, he's tried to get that through recruiting, through transfers. It's still not a great offensive line, but he's talked about how it's one of his most improved units. He thinks so. I think that rushing ability comes with a stronger offensive line, and also they have a new offensive coordinator, Dan Enos. And Loxley said they haven't really changed the offense. You know, it's just adapting to it, but he's worked with a ton of great quarterbacks and he's experienced. So that's something that also can help Talia take that next step. Yeah, and Talia has also talked a lot about in media how, you know, and Loxley's confidence in him have helped him kind of develop that consistency. So just kind of, again, going forward, he's expectations are really high for him. You know, he's made, I believe, three watch lists since, you know, ahead of the season. So depending on how he comes out in West Virginia, could really set his tone for the rest of the season. Yes, yeah, Sam, you talked about the offensive line before. I mean, it's such a huge part of this team that's – and it's been covered a lot in preseason. You have Jahari Branch now at center, which I think is a really good move, and it kind of opens up that entire offensive line. But now you don't have uh, a Jake Funk in the backfield. You don't have an Anthony McFarlane in the backfield. And all of a sudden, those errors from the offensive line become so highlighted in the spotlight that I think – that another issue for Maryland this year is going to be penalties. I mean, Loxley has been talking about it all preseason, every media availability that I've gone to, he's mentioned that he wants to cut down the penalties, increase the discipline and that they've been just grilling the entire roster. And I believe that I believe that he's consistently telling his team, look, we can't beat ourselves. And that's what he's been telling us as well. But I, with the with a struggling offensive line, you're going to get a ton of holding penalties. And I think that's what we saw a lot of last year. I think Maryland had something like 44 penalties in the five games they played. I mean, that's just a tremendous amount. And that's not, once again, that's not going to get it done in the Big Ten. You need to cut down on those penalties. But you mentioning the offensive line just sparked that thought of mine. And it's that's going to be a revolving piece for Maryland all year. But they, they really have to figure out that offensive line if they want to succeed as an offense. Yeah. And with with such a tough schedule in the Big Ten, that margin of error for mistakes in those some of those tough Big Ten matchups is so thin. And so that really will come down to a lot of those discipline plannings. So that discipline and limiting those penalties. I mean, if they're racking up a ton of yardage and penalties and just moving back and making it more difficult and creating more difficult throws and yarder situations for Tulia, they're not going to have a lot of success against good Big Ten defenses. So you're absolutely right about the, the discipline. And that's something Lockley has been harping on all offseason, all training camp. So I, I think he expects that to improve. But at the same time, I mean, you talked about the running back position. They're obviously going to be a pass-heavy offense. They have a ton of weapons all that outside. They expect a lot of Tulia. And it's not a great off, offensive line, which means they're not going to be running the ball a whole lot. But they do have a couple guys like Tayon Fleet, Fleet Davis, excuse me, Isaiah Jacobs, Penny Boone. I mean, there's a few guys that they can look to. That they're not going to be Jake Funk and immediately step in and be stars and NFL prospects. We just saw Jake Funk make the Rams roster the other day as a seventh-round pick. But they're certainly – it's going to be a running back by committee, and they will be able to leave um, alleviate some pressure from uh, Talia. Yeah, and I have a question for both of you. I mean, you have two situations on offense. You have the the running backs and the wide receiver situation. Which one is more just interesting to you guys? Because the running backs, you have an unproven backfield. And then in the receiver positional group, you have Rakim Jarrett, who's gonna who's expected to take a big leap this year, and Dante Demas, who's solidifying that wide receiver one spot. And obviously they're gonna throw the ball a lot. So it's they're both intriguing storylines with this team. And something that we really won't know, uh, like for, for the, especially with the running backs, how it's going to pan out. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about these wide receivers. I think there's so much potential here. I mean, we talk about taking the leap. I think that this group of wide receivers is ready to take that leap. You have Dante Demas, who, you know, he's coming into his senior season. He had a pretty solid year in 2020 I, with his, he had 24 receptions for 365 yards and four touchdowns. So, you know, coming in with that kind of momentum after, you know, it wasn't a very high momentum year in 2020 and he kind of had that season. So I'm really excited to see what he does um, yesterday in practice. He was a lot of fun to watch. And then just kind of, I think that there's a lot of potential there for the running backs as well, but I think there really are so many weapons on the outside and I'm excited to see all that they do this season. Yeah. I mean, the running backs, obviously it's a huge question mark. We don't know what we're getting, but that wide receiver room is very much established. I mean, they're, that they're, those in Rakeem Jared and Dante Demis Jr. They're two. That's probably the best wide receiver duo in the entire country, let alone the big 10 easily. And I mean, those are legitimate superstars, NFL wide receivers. Those are guys you get the ball to, you got, you get it to them early and they're going to be playmakers and give you big time yard situations and score a ton of touchdowns. And that's, that's the expectation from the coaching staff, I believe. And certainly from the fans. So I'm just, I think that's where the superstars lie on this team. That's where all the eyes are going to be. And so I, I, I'm excited. I know everyone's very excited to watch that wide receiver. room. And you know, that passing game, the wide receiver room is so strong. It's so easily one of the best assets, if not the best asset on this team. And Tully is certainly going to air it out this year, but the tight end situation, I mean, that is just such uh, it's just another interesting positional storyline within this program because you have a team that one, I believe one catch last year from the entire tight end group through uh, five games. And, you know, they, they do more of a blocking tight end scheme and they're not really involved much in the past game, especially with three solidified wide receivers going to this year. But do you guys really believe that Maryland is going to use their tight ends more this year? Or are we going to see more of the same? I do because they have a le- Sorry, but I do, but because they have a legitimate tight end now in um Aconqua. I know I'm gonna mispronounce the name, but he's he's a, he didn't play last year, which is a big reason why they didn't get a lot of production from their tight ends. But when he did play in 2019, he was second on the team in receptions, third on the team in yards, and caught two touchdowns in 12 games. I mean, he's and he's only gonna get that get better. I mean, it was medical reasons why he didn't play. Hopefully, it sounds like he's healthy, certainly ready to go. Me and Lauren were watching in practice the other day. Um, uh, Talia aired out a, a deep ball to him. And the other thing is he's going to get more, more opportunities because of the weapons they have on the outside. It's going to open the middle of the field for him. And so I think uh, Talia is going to use him a ton, and I expect him to have a huge year. And so I certainly think they're going to get that production from the tight ends, and they're not just going to be black- blocking tight ends anymore. Yeah, I completely agree. That's what I was going to say. I think that – not having Chick in the lineup last year because he was out for medical reasons, obviously hurt the tight end room. And I think he's coming back not only with, um, you know, the skill level that he has, but he has, I think, a very different outlook now, very positive, or maybe not so different, but a very positive outlook on kind of taking on this season and not taking for granted, maybe being able to play football in college. Not that he has ever has, but he spoke to the media in the spring about how, um, sitting out for a season due to health reasons really gave him a lot of perspective on kind of just being part of this team. And he's really looking forward to getting back on the field. So I think that added motivation and that one year off gives him the ability to really just come out strong and be the tight end that Maryland really hopes that he can be and that they need him to be. Right. And there are so many mouths that feed on this, on the Maryland offense in 2021, but people are forgetting that Chig was also, he also started a couple games his freshman year. So he really goes a long way back for this Maryland team and he provides some experience and he's really got good length and a, a nice weight, 244. So he's a big guy, big blocker for the team. And I mean, I think I definitely see an uptick in the tight ends this year with the usage, but I wouldn't really expect them to overdo it with it, with all those wide receivers on the side. And I think the last aspect of the offense that we haven't really gone over yet is the running back. We did say, um, Fleet Davis, who Loxley called a Swiss Army knife in the backfield. He's number one in the depth chart, but I'm not sure I'm buying if he's really going to have a really solidified number one role in that offense. I really see a Penny Boone and Isaiah Jacobs really stealing some touches from Fleet Davis. And Fleet is also, he's not that big of a guy. He's six foot, 
and he's more of a shifty running back, a good pass catcher. But when they're in the red zone and near the goal line, I think that job is Isaiah Jacobs. Um, I also think that when you look at the running backs, we there with the freshman coming in and Roman Hemby, I think that Loxley has had a lot of positive things to say about how he's liking, how he's looking coming in in his first year here. Obviously, it's a little hard to know what to expect there, but I think that, you know, Loxley did say recently that he does expect him to have a pretty solid year. He, in two years over in high school, he had um, 1,500 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns in two seasons. So there's definitely a lot of potential there. So I think that's a really solid word to use for that running back room is potential. And I do think that there is the opportunity for the backfield to kind of exceed expectations because I think there may not be that many expectations coming in. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's very little expectations. I mean, teams are really good. Defenses are really going to be planning for the pass. And if they can get somewhat, it, does, it doesn't have to be one guy, can be a committee. All the people you just mentioned and that I talked about earlier, if they can get production from those guys, it really will alleviate um, some pressure off of uh, Talia and the passing game. And defenses really won't expect it because they don't even know who's going to be the guy right now because almost very few of these guys have experienced, because as we talked about, Jake Funk's departure, I mean, he carried the entire load for that running game. And so we've gone most we've gone over most of the offense now, or if not all of it, we did touch on the offensive line. And so now I guess we can move on to the defense. And I guess the first thing I want to ask is just looking at the depth chart on paper. Are you guys satisfied with the talent level that is on this Maryland defense? And do you think they can get the job done on the field against a team like West Virginia, who has an experienced quarterback, who has an experienced running back that can carry them offensively. Do you think that that defense is ready to take the next step forward? The defense is certainly the weaker part of the team, but I do think they have a great secondary. I mean, Nick Cross, Jordan Mosley, those are two very experienced guys that have been here for years. Um, Nick Cross was an honorable Big Ten mention last year. Um, 23 tackles, 14 were solo, sack, inter interception, a forced fumble. He's all over the field. Jordan Mosley's great, too. And then they have um, Tarheeb Still, which is who's one of the younger guys. Um, he's going to be a sophomore. But he, but he's maybe the most talented. Maybe I, I know um, we had him as our defensive MVP when we were doing the predictions. But he led the nation with two pass breakups per game. I mean, he can legitimately be a shutdown corner for Maryland. So I think that's where their strength lies defensively. I think they're pretty thin at um, linebacker, even though they have uh, Terrence Lewis coming in and a couple good recruits. They're freshmen. They're going to get a lot of time. But that's where they're, they're going to be weaker at is getting to the quarterback, at the linebacker, at the defensive line. There's not a lot of depth there. So I think teams are going to be able to beat them with the run, and they're just going to struggle to get to the quarterback. But their secondary, I think, is, is primed to have a great year. Um, yeah, I also agree, but I do feel semi-confident also about the position that they're in with their linebackers this year. I think you look at Ruben Hippolyte, he's someone who's been talked about, who's talked about last year, he was expected to have a good season, obviously the abbreviated season, but 18 tackles, two sacks, pretty solid sophomore season, uh, pretty solid season coming into his sophomore year. And I think there's a lot of expectations there. Um, Brandon Jennings, who was the four-star high school recruit, and Damian Robinson, another four-star recruit, both freshmen coming in, supposed to be, you know, big playmakers. Loxley has said that he's really liked looking at um, the progress that they're making since joining. I think that he mentioned that, you know, Jennings has just, he really loves the leadership that he's been exuding and the confidence that he has. And I think to come into a locker room at that age and have all that confidence definitely is going to get him far in terms of his play on the field. And I just, I think that they have potential there as well. I agree that um, I personally am satisfied with the depth chart in terms of defense. Yeah. I mean, I would say so too. I mean, they have so many young guys on this team, Sam, you mentioned that before. I mean, it's so hard to find that gray area where you want to play your experienced players to get the most out of it. But at the same time, you want to get those four-star and five-star defenders out there to get some to get some reps and some playing time because obviously the real thing is much different than uh, inter-team scrimmage and preseason and all of that. So 
I think it's going to be really interesting how Loxley divvies up the, the playing time between some of these younger players. And I chose Brandon Jennings as my freshman of the year. I think that he and Damian Robinson are going to be on the field quite a lot for Maryland. And I could easily see their roles increasing as the season moves along. But I think this first game is going to be so indicative of what kind of team Maryland is this season. You're going to see either the development or, or, you know, not as much development as you'd like to see out of some of these players. And we're going to get a really good sense of where this team is at after week one, because once again, Virginia, West Virginia, really good football team. We haven't really talked about them yet, but they're really good coming into this season. They were an excellent defensive team in the big 12 last season. They gave up like 35 less points than the next best team in the big 12. And they played just as many games. So they got a really good team coming and I mean, the defense and the offense, I think it's going to fluctuate all year with how they do, but this first game is going to be so important just to see just from a developmental standpoint of where this team is headed. And you mentioned a lot of guys that are going to be playing. I mean, that's what locks, that's exactly what Loxley said yesterday. He said, that's what he does early on in the season, especially in week one, he's going to be rotating guys in and out. And I think those starters and those established positions are more so on the offensive end. So I think on defense, you're going to see a ton of guys getting a ton of snaps so they can really try to prove themselves. All right. Who's going to be the ones, I mean, they have it established now in some positions, but who are going to be the ones moving forward and who's, who's going to get more playing time. And before we go into the week one matchup against West Virginia, shall we go through our breakout players, X factors, offensive MVPs? Yeah, we can do that. All right. You know, so offensive and defensive MVP, I'll keep it short. I have Talia, uh, obviously junior quarterback at my offensive MVP. I think he's the clear choice. I talked about his development before, but real, everyone's really expecting him to take a step forward. I think he will, but I'm, I'm not saying that it is just much of like a certain thing as I think some other people are. And then the defensive side of the ball, Sam, you touched on Tarb Heap still before such a great player for Maryland average two two pass breakups per game last year, and he was a 2020 honorable mention in the Big Ten. Uh, he's such a talented player. He's going to take another step forward this season for the team. And, I mean, the offense shoulders rely on Tagovailoa, and I feel as though the defensive shoulders really lie on still. Yeah, my offensive MVP is the exact same. Um, Talia Tagovailoa, this offense and this team is going to go as far – as he does. And I think we all expect him to take a big leap as for all the reasons we talked about earlier and he will. And so, I mean, if, if this team can win five, six, seven games this year, it's going to be because of the shoulders of the, um, the Talia thing. He's going to, he's going to be carrying the offense and carrying the load. And it's going to be because of him and defensive MVP have the exact same thing. It's Tarheeb still. Um, he, he was a really impressive freshman year. He's going to be, he's going to build on it. He's, like I said earlier, two pass breakups, per game, which led the entire nation. He can prove himself this year even more as a shutdown um, corner. And I think he's going to have an unreal year. Yeah, and I mean, no surprise here. Talia is also my offensive MVP. We've touched upon it. He definitely, if he can make that jump and stay consistent, no doubt about it that he'll be major cornerstone for this team. And my defensive MVP differs a little bit. I have Nick Cross as my MVP. I think that he has so much potential to make even a bigger jump, and he's already been such a leader on this team. And, you know, in 2020, he had the 23 tackles, and he broke up three passes. And I just think that, you know, he's coming back, he's ready, and that he's going to be able to make a huge impact on this defense. Okay, and now, the, now we have to go into X Factor and Freshman of the Year. Uh, I guess I'll start out. Tayon Flea Davis, he's my X factor. I, for me, I think I know. I think you guys have some different ones, but I think that that was an easy choice for me. Jake Funk is gone out of the backfield. There's no Anthony McFarlane back there to rip off 80, 90 yard runs every single game and play like an absolute beast. There's no one out there to do that. And that's not a knock on Fleet Davis. That's just it's just saying how good Funk and McFarlane were. They were superstars when they were here at Maryland. So, I mean, it really depends if Fleet can run away with this starting job. It's just going to make Maryland's offense so much better than if it was if it was a running back by committee. Because if he can really take a next step forward in a, in a senior position uh, experience-wise, I think that he can get the Terps running game back where it needs to be. If, if he can get it anywhere close to where it used to be, then I, I would call that a success. And then freshman of the year, for me, I said this before, Brandon Jennings, 
I won't explain much more about it. He's such a talented linebacker and he's, he's been described as just a hard hitting physical guy. And I think that's exactly what Maryland needs on the defensive side. He's the guy that gets tackles done. And I think that he should see his playing time increase as the season moves along. And, and once again, it starts with getting some playing time in, in the opening game against West Virginia. But I think from there on, he should really improve. Yeah. So my X factor is um, a Conco. Like I talked about the tight end position earlier. Um, I think he's going to take a huge jump this year after not playing last year due to medical reasons. All indications are at a training camp that he's uh, that uh, Talia loves throwing him the ball, that he's at a great camp. There's going to be a ton of opportunities, as I talked about, which is a big reason why he's incredibly talented. But I think those opportunities are going to be there because of the weapons they have on the outside. And it's going to open up um, the middle of the field. He's played 20, played in 24 games in Maryland. Um, he has six touchdowns in 24 games and just, as a senior, I think he's, he's going to have that next step. It's, it's more of a breakout player than X factor. I mean, it's, I don't know if, um, if, it, if, if his production will dictate how good the offense is necessarily, but I think he's going to have a breakout year. And, and if he is, if he does have that breakout year, I mean, that makes this offense even better than it already is. Freshman of the year, I have um, Demian Robinson. Um, so he obviously Brandon Jennings is, is everyone expects him to have a great year. But Robinson was a huge get for Maryland. He was a four-star line, linebacker and the top-ranked player in all the, in the entire state of Maryland. So he's going to get a ton of opportunity. He's, he's great ability to get to the quarterback. I just think he's going to have a great year, prove his worth as a freshman, and then take an even, even bigger step next year. Yeah, and I mean, for me, my X factor, both of you had Tarheeb still as your defensive MVP. I mentioned I like the, this defensive lineup, and I think that he's the X factor. He is definitely something special for this Maryland team. And, you know, if he comes out the same way that he was playing last season, Maryland is definitely in good hands. And for my freshman of the year, I have Brandon Jennings as well, Dylan. I think that, you know, he's coming in with expectations that are high, and I think that he's going to deliver on them. You know, the four-star recruit, as his senior year, his senior season, he had 127 tackles and um, 19 of those were for loss. And I think that if he's carrying that momentum with him into this season, into, you know, whatever playing time he's getting, which I assume will increase throughout the season, he will most definitely be an impact player for this Maryland team. So there are so many things about this team that we could talk about all day. I mean, there's, there's I mean, I think what's different about years past that this team just has so such a, there's so many different dynamics on this roster with the positional groups. There's so many different storylines. So it's going to be a really fun season to cover. And, and, that's, a, and that's a testament to Loxley's recruiting. I mean, he's, he's established Maryland as a play, a legitimate option for top recruits to come to in the state of Maryland, all in DMV, but really all across the country. People now want to play for this program and that creates depth and competition of these positions. And that's exactly what he wants. And he succeeded so far. Now they just have to go out and win some games. I agree 100%. I mean, the recruiting has made all the difference. It's completely changed the, the theme around this, this program. There's, there's now light at the end of the tunnel for Maryland football, and I think that's a really good thing moving forward, and it all starts with building that foundation. If, Lauren, if you have nothing to share on this, I guess we can move on to the uh, record, uh, record predictions for this year. 12 regular season games for Maryland. And I, they haven't gotten four plus in six or seven years, something like that. Maybe this is the year. Maybe it's not. But right now I have Maryland at five and seven. I was itching to get them to six and six. However, I'm not sure they're going to come away with a win against West Virginia. They, they just have a really strong team, the Mountaineers. But I think that was my deciding game between five and seven, six and six. But I think the Terps can really grab wins over Howard, Illinois, Kent State, Minnesota, and Michigan State, and then take a game over Rutgers. I'm assuming they lose one of those road games against Michigan State, Rutgers, and Minnesota. So it's really a mixed bag for me for this team. And I think they're five and they go five and seven or six and six if all goes well. I think if Talia breaks out on offense and the defense does what they're supposed to do. I think that five wins is very realistic for a Maryland team. And that might not seem like a lot, but for a program that has struggled for so many years to get uh, into a just bowl game contention, I think a five and seven year would be a real sign of improvement from this Maryland football program. 
yeah, six win and a 500 season, and that would be a very, very successful season in College Park. And that would likely get them a bowl game where they haven't been for a long time. I'm was between six and six. I'm leaning five and I'm leaning towards five and seven. I expect this offense to be prolific. I expect it to be one of the top offenses in the entire Big Ten, but I think they're also going to give out give up a lot of points. And a lot of that is going to come down to um Talia's consistency at, at quarterback. Is he turning who's going to win the turnover battles and a lot of those tough Big Ten matchups? And the other thing is they're in the Big Ten East. I mean, there's they just have incredibly difficult matchups that they're just like they're not going to beat Ohio State unless they pull off some miraculous um upset. There's a lot of other tough matchups. So I'm I'm leaning towards five and seven. There's a three-week stretch after they play West Virginia week one. And if they do beat West Virginia, I think six and six is very likely. But after they play West Virginia, they play Howard, Illinois, Kent State. I expect that them to go three and zero there. So there's three wins right there. Um, the later in the season, they play Michigan State. They play Rutgers. I think those can two those two games should be wins. But this team's also built for like upset potential. I mean, Penn State obviously struggled early on last year where they where they upset them. They also had a huge electric game against Minnesota, um, where they upset them in overtime. So this team is built for upset potential. And I think, I don't know if it's going to be Penn State again this year, but it could be Minnesota, could be Iowa. I think they take uh, maybe even Indiana. I think they take away one of those games to get them to uh, five wins. Yeah, and I mean, I also had them at five and seven, but the more, more I think about it, the more I lean towards six and six. I think that they have a lot of potential to, I think that they will be, you know, the same teams you guys were talking about, Howard, Illinois, Kent State, Michigan State. I think that they'll be Rutgers, and I think Minnesota is definitely more of a toss-up. But I do think that they really have the opportunity to pull off an episode, an upset over either Minnesota or Penn State. And I agree. I think if they beat West Virginia, I mean, it might be a really bold prediction, but I think if they beat West Virginia, they could even win more than six games this season. So I have a lot of confidence in this team. I'm excited to see what they do. And kind of all depends on how they set the tone on Saturday, but ultimately there's a lot of potential here and it does have the opportunity to be definitely the best season under um, Loxley as head coach and maybe the best season Maryland fans have seen in a long time. And just a note about that Penn State game, Sam, on November 6th, that's the first time that Penn State's coming back to College Park since that 59-0 to zero debacle. Uh, I was there. I remember that one. Uh, I was, yeah. <laughs> I, I was I, Definitely do remember being there. A lot of people were until the first, <laughs> until after the first quarter. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, that one went away quickly. But this is this is technically Maryland's potential revenge game for that. So, wanted to point that out. So now all we have left for the football topic is West Virginia predictions. Week one, West Virginia, September fourth. We've been waiting so long. We've been talking about it for now. It seems like forever, and it's going to be played in College Park at three thirty. And I talked about this before, West Virginia is such a strong team. You know, they're, they're coming into the preseason polls with already receiving votes as a ranking. Their defense is one of the best in the Big Ten. But I wanted to hear your guys' predictions first before I rattle off mine. So West Virginia is coming in as a very slight favorite, um, two and a half points, which surprised me quite a bit how, how, how low that number was. But I think – so I think it's going to be a great game. It's really hard to predict in a week one matchup. I think it's going to be an electric atmosphere. The fans are back. We'll be back in the show for the first time in a long time. I think there's, like we've talked about this entire show, there's a ton of expectations surrounding the team more than ever. So I think that, I think it's going to be a packed stadium, at least in the beginning. I think West Virginia is going to have a ton of success running the ball. I mean, they have a strong offensive line, a strong run game. They're going to be, like we said earlier, um, Maryland's weaker units or their defensive line, especially in terms of their depth. So I think West Virginia is going to run all over Maryland. They have a very strong defense, but I think Maryland's going to be able to move the chains. Anyway, I think it's going to be a very high scoring game. I'm going to give the slight edge to West Virginia by a field goal. So I'm going to say it's going to be 35. I'm going to say 35, 32 West Virginia, but it wouldn't shock me in the slightest bit if, um, if Maryland could pull this upset off. But I do, th- I do think West Virginia is going to get it. But I think it's going to be tight, a tight game throughout and a great opening week one matchup and restoring a rivalry that has a ton of history. Yeah, I mean, you hit on it. West Virginia's defense is aggressive and they move to the ball. And when Talia was speaking to the media yesterday, 
he's just going to take whatever that defense gives him. And his key word for that is just staying disciplined. And we talked about if he does, if he can stay disciplined, he does well. And if he does well, the team does well. So I have confidence that this is going to be a close game. I agree. It will be a high scoring game. I think that the, you know, the energy here on campus is already pretty electric about this game. I've heard a lot of positive um, energy and excitement surrounding it. People are really excited to get back in the stands. I know student tickets are doing well and everything like that. So I think that with that atmosphere, it'll be pretty high scoring. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific score in mind. I don't think that I have one necessarily, but I do think that it's going to be a close game. It's going to be an exciting game. Um, I'll give West, I'll give West Virginia the win, but I would not be surprised at all. I'm simply saying that because they've received votes, the expectations are high and their defense is aggressive. And I don't know, we haven't seen Talia play yet this season. So I'm not sure if he can necessarily stay that calm under pressure and not turn over the ball, but I would not be surprised at all if Maryland comes out with the win. I actually agree with the spread. I think that that slight edge goes to West Virginia, but I just wanted to touch on just last year's opponents and how that kind of reflects on this year. Maryland, five games last year, the two wins came against Minnesota and a struggling Penn State team. Not the greatest resume of wins that you could possibly have, but talk about West Virginia coming into this year with higher expectations than last year. They finished right in the middle of the pack in the Big 12. They beat some middle-of-the-pack average teams. They really didn't have any quality wins last year. They beat Kansas State, Kansas, Baylor, and Eastern Kentucky, and a few other teams. But they didn't have any, like, noticeable wins that kind of sway the needle. So I really think this game is much more of a toss-up than what most people think. But I think it's – I'm going to go away from you guys. I'm going to say it's going to be a little underscoring. It's going to be low-scoring. I don't think there's going to be many touchdowns in this game, honestly. But I, I still have West Virginia by a field goal. My original prediction was going to be, I think, 28-24. But, you know, that's obviously it's one more point than a field goal. But you get the idea. But so I think I have Virginia, West Virginia, uh, taking this one. But I'm same as you guys. I think it's a complete toss-up. And I think it could really go in any direction. And the only thing I can remember about a notable uh, first game of the season when uh, Maryland played Texas, uh, my freshman year, Sam, you weren't even here yet because you were not even a Maryland student. Lauren, you were here as a freshman. Yeah. Uh, you Did you go to that game? I was there, yeah. It was at FedEx Field. And the energy there was unbelievable. And I really do feel like there's similar energy coming into this game. I think fans are excited. Students are excited. And, you know, I think the energy will be even more electric. It's been a long time since fans have been in the stadium. A couple came for the spring game, but it wasn't anything similar. And I think that plenty of people went out to FedEx field when the game was there and it's even easier for fans to get here this time. And the team really feeds off that energy. And the, every time they're asked about fans being in the stadium or every time they talk about it, their faces really do light up. And I think that it's going to make a really big impact on this game. And a quick, quick tidbit about that. Maryland, other than last year, which I'm not counting in terms of the opening day matchup because it was they played only a Big Ten schedule and usually the first game is out of conference. Maryland hasn't lost an opening day game other than last year, of course, since 2009. I mean, that they have a serious history of, of winning their first games. And, and some of those have been big upsets against ranked opponents, even like you guys talked about Texas when you guys were here. Um, so. I mean, it just shouldn't, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest bit if Maryland could pull, pull off this opening day win. And like we've said all time, I mean, College Park is going to be electric on Saturday. And I'm ready for the, I'm excited. I'm ready for the game. I'm, I'm, it's going to be a good one. Yeah. And some people might say, oh, you know, crowd noise isn't going to affect the, the talent level of West Virginia compared to Maryland. But to that, I would say you're wrong. I mean, teams, you know, when they're ready to snap the ball, if, teams make mistakes when it's loud basically in football everyone knows that so I think if the Maryland fans I think if they really show up I think they could actually make a difference on this game you can really disrupt that offense but it's going to be a really tough game I think the highlight is obviously going to be on Maryland's offense going to try to break through against West Virginia's defense so I guess we'll see how that plays out when the time comes but for now I think we can move on to uh, men's and women's soccer 
I guess we could start off with women's soccer because I would I think that they are the, the bigger surprise out of the two. We know men's soccer is coming in pretty good. But women's soccer, they were on a crazy drought, a crazy drought going into this season. Didn't have a win over like two years in 2009, since 2019. And then they come into this season and they make so much noise in the first three games. They go undefeated. They win 3-0 against Temple. They win 3-2-0 against George Mason. And then they have a crazy comeback from behind win against Richmond uh, 2-1. So a lot of, and then they obviously they lost their fourth game against Navy, but you know, such a great start to the season for them. And you re, you feel good for them. You feel good for that entire coaching staff. That's, that's been there. You got coach Ray Leone is still there. You know, you got to really feel happy for them that they're starting to get it back on track. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, like you said, you have to feel happy for them. I mean, it's very impressive. They didn't win a single game last year as you said, and they're already off to this great start this year. And they brought a lot of people back from that team. Um, some really strong players that are really just making an impact like they do, because a lot of people might have transferred out after a winless season. They might have just quit or like gave up or whatever. But these guys, these they have not at all. And they're off to an impressive start in 2021. And hopefully they keep it up. Yeah, it's been really exciting that offense. The defense has been incredible. They've didn't let up a goal until their loss against Navy. So they went three games, you know, really staying solid. And you look at this offensive unit, a lot of returners, like you were saying, Sam, and um, Alyssa Porich has really been highlighting that group. You know, she has five points on the season and two goals. And, you know, other big key players have been um, Emily McNesby, and she has three points, I believe, which is the second most of the team. And that's tied with, actually um, Maryland football head coach, um, Mike Loxley, his daughter, Corey Loxley transferred this year. She's been a great addition to the team. I know that um, when Ray speaks to the media, he talks about how highly um, the energy and the um, momentum that she brings this team is great. And they have their next matchup against uh, GW on Thursday. And I think that should be a good matchup. GW is coming in. They haven't won a game yet this season. So another opportunity for Maryland's offense to really shine and see if the defense has the potential to shut them out. And we, you talk about that team culture and just what Ray has been able to do with the women's soccer team. I mean, you, you go winless in 12 games last year. And you, for most prog programs, that's the sign of like, that's rock bottom. That's basically as low as you can get as, as the team. And then they come back and they win three or four games to start the season. I mean, that just shows what kind of culture that has been created there. And I was watching a game the other day, Alyssa Porch, man, she is unbelievable. She, what she's able to do with her footwork and on the move. I mean, she's, I think she's easily that team's best player. And I'm so excited to keep seeing her play and her highlights. I think that she's such a talented player and just for all these players to really buy into this, this system and to just commit to this team and program once again, after such a down year, is just, by its own is such such an accomplishment and again there was no expectation after a winless um season last year there was no expectation going into this year i mean a lot of the polls and predictions that i saw had them finishing last or one of the last teams in the big 10 so maybe that helps them just playing loose um playing with some energy maybe a chip on their shoulder so that's maybe helped a good start and we'll see how they progress in the big 10 and maybe maryland is starting to become a soccer school all of a sudden because the men's soccer team is doing what they usually do. I covered them last year. I know that team fairly well. Had such a rough start to the season in 2020. I believe they lost three straight games, uh, and they were just outside the top 25 at that point. And then they started racking up these wins against better Big Ten teams, and then they eventually lose in a heartbreaker in the NCAA tournament. That was, that was a crazy game. That's for another time. And then you come into this year and then you get the, I mean, the first game was so important. You come into a game against number 18 Frank Charlotte. You got a one, like a first initial chance to really show that you are a serious contender this year in division one men's soccer. And they come away with a one, nothing win. And that was such a great game. Uh, I was able to catch that one. And so many young players on the team too. So many young weapons on that team. You got uh, Ben Bender, who is one of my favorite from last year, just an unbelievable player all around. And it seems that in Jason Russell Rowe, I mean, just a lot of pieces working right now for Maryland men's soccer, and it's all trending in the right direction. 
Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I don't, go ahead, go ahead, I, yeah, no, it's no surprise to me. I think that you said it perfectly. They're doing what they normally do. I think that last season was an off season. I know that they were riddled with injuries last year, and I think that they're coming into this season um, a lot healthier that way. And, you know, jumping all the way up to number 11 in this week's poll is really exciting for them, but I also think it's kind of the norm for them. They've had a pretty consistent um, few seasons and, you know, they, they win the national championship and they have the ability to be that program again. And I think they're just kind of hoping to get back to that place since, you know, last season was definitely a little bit off for them. Yeah. I mean, this is their best start since 2017, which I mean, they have a, in between that time, they have a national championship in there, which is pretty impressive. Um, so obviously that culture that Sasha has created there, I mean, and the recruiting he's done, he does a terrific job. Everyone knows that. Um, so it's not really a surprise. It's kind of the norm for them to be ranked. It's not something that they're harping over too much. They're just trying to get better every single game, but yeah, they've, like you said, Ben Bender, a ton of great young players, some good returning players. And there's finally some hope, hope that they're going to be, um, get back to that level where they were a few years ago. Yeah, and I think they can get there. They have so much depth. You just see it in their last game against UMBC. They won 4-3 goals from Geelan, Ben Bender, Malcolm Johnson, and Jason Russell Rowe. And Nick Richardson and Brett St. Martin are such impactful players on in the midfield and Brett St. Martin on the defensive side of the ball. They just have so many pieces that I think are, are just trending in such a uh, – just a straight line in a positive direction. So a lot of exciting things for both soccer teams this year and the last fall sport uh, that we will be going over to. Or we can also go over volleyball. I forgot about volleyball because they, they've also had a fantastic start too. But first we will go over to field hockey because Lauren, you actually went to the opening game after their first one against UMass. Lowell got canceled due to weather. They win a crazy game and I, I will leave that story to you. Yeah, what an exciting game it was. It was unbelievable. Um, Maryland was never down in the game, but they played against, Maryland's the number nine uh, ranked team and St. Joseph's who they play from Philadelphia, they're the number 20 ranked team. So it was new coming in, it was gonna be a good matchup. St. Joseph's offense is less. They do not stop attacking the goal and attacking the defenders and drawing those corners. But um, Maryland was never down, they would score and then St. Joe's would tie it and it kept going back and forth until ultimately the game went into double overtime. When Fields Hockey goes into overtime, they go down to a 7v7 game. So it is just exhausting to even watch them do. And it, the Maryland just kept their energy up. And ultimately, the hero of the day was um, forward BB Donrat. I mean, she's unbelievable. And watching her play, she plays so gracefully and effortlessly. And, you know, um, St. Joe's had a moment in the overtime to uh, – in the first overtime that is to score the winning goal. And she made the diving save as a forward and she made the diving save, kept the ball from crossing the line. And ultimately um, just a few minutes later, when the second overtime started, she, it was, I believe less than a minute into that sixth period of the game, she dribbled the ball into the circle and took it herself and scored right past the goalie and secured the win for the Terps. And I think that, you know, starting a game, uh, starting a season off with a game like this is huge. Um, uh, head coach Missy Maharg was saying after the game that when you go to a national championship, when you're a team in field hockey that goes to a national championship, you're going to be in these seven v seven situations a lot. And being able to get that exposure so early on in the season and to have that kind of heroic outcome is such a useful and special thing for this team to have so early on in the season. And, you know, they were nervous about, not having played against, um, I believe it was UMass Lowell who they were originally supposed to play against, you know, starting the season a little bit later than anticipated, but, you know, there was no lagging there. They came out and they were ready and they had a bit of a season last year. I know that they weren't as it wasn't consistent with what has happened in program history. They missed the tournament, but ultimately the NCAA tournament that is, but ultimately they look like they haven't skipped a beat and that they're ready to get back there this season. This is another program where excellence really is the expectation. I mean, Missy Mahorg has built one of the best, one of the best field hockey programs in the entire country over the last few years that has enjoyed incredible over the last few decades, really, that has enjoyed incredible success. And this year, obviously, they didn't have the year they wanted to last year, missing the tournament, which is pretty rare for them. But they returned every single player except for one. 
So, I mean, they're experienced. They've, they've played together for some time now. Um, so I think the expectation is they're going to be back in that tournament and back competing for a national championship once again this year. Yeah, I agree with all of you. I think that they're definitely going to be back in contention for a tournament spot. But I just wanted to say that, you know, before I came to college, I had no idea about like field hockey. I've never watched the sport, didn't know the rules. And then in my first few years, I started covering this team and just by broadcasting. And man, I mean, they've created such a great culture over there and that environment is great. And they're always producing a good team. They're just fun to watch and the games are so high energy. And I mean, especially that first game, 4-3 double overtime win. I can't get much better than that to start off the season. So field hockey, another team that's trending up in Maryland athletics. And now our last last fall sport that we haven't covered yet, Maryland volleyball. And this is quietly one of the most interesting storylines out of any Maryland athletics program. They had the Maryland Invitational, the Maryland Invite. It says now on the website, I think it was the Maryland Invitational. Uh, they played Virginia, Connecticut Central, Central Connecticut State, and Hofstra. They came away with wins in every single game and in all those matches. They only gave up one set. So uh, they won 3 1, 3 0, 3 0. I mean, picture perfect start for them. Just, I went to, I was there for the season opener against Virginia. Such, such a great team. Clearly, a lot of chemistry on the roster. And with fans back, especially in the pavilion, it was really loud and the team was feeding off that energy. Uh, just a, another fun team this year. I mean, so many great programs here in Maryland athletically. Uh, and this volleyball team, I think, is no different. They're coming off uh, one of their program's worst records, 5-15. and 15. And, I mean, you can't obviously 3-0 and start. Picture perfect for them. And now they're moving on to another event uh, in Philadelphia where they'll face three more teams to keep their season rolling. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the, again, very little expectations for this volleyball team, this Maryland volleyball team coming into the season, projected to be last in the Big Ten. And, you know, already winning three games, more than half the games that they won last season is huge for this team and this program as a whole. And, you know, they had a few new additions this year. They had some um, departures and graduations and transfers, but really seems like that they were able to pull it together and that they really do have some great momentum going into this second invitational weekend. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you guys said, they've they had a, a couple back-to-back disappointing seasons in 2019 and last year in 2020. Um, but they're they're going to, I mean, they're looks like they're returning to their 2018 selves where they, where they were successful. They're off to a great start this season. They have a ton of new additions, whether it's transfer, freshmen, and it seems like they're all meshing together, um, playing well. And the fans are back, which probably helps, which definitely helps for the home games. And so it seems like all these fall sports that we're talking about, maybe there's a common theme that they've they've had some disappointing seasons last year coming off of, not a lot, not a lot of expectations surrounding the program, even though they've had past success, and they're all off to a great start this year. So I think that will do it here on the Testudo Times podcast. Thank you all so much for listening for our fall sport quick recap. We hope to do this every single Wednesday, our recording, and then get it out earlier that evening. Thank you from Lauren Roche, Sam Ostry, and myself, Dylan Spilko. Thank you so much for listening to the Testudo Times podcast, and we will be back next week with more after Maryland football's week one matchup with West Virginia.